0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up.
1: So glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Wish we had a good martini for you today, but in some ways our crazy martini has some good overtones because Andrew Cuomo is finally getting his comeuppance here, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later in our podcast today. Jim, we start with very distressing news. Courtesy of ABC News, but uh, you've certainly been tracking this in other venues as well. And ABC News just puts it this way. States around the country are reporting a significant decline in the number of students enrolled in public school because of the pandemic, leaving experts and educators concerned about the trend and its potential long-term consequences. A notable... Notable number of students have simply fallen off the grid, not showing up for online or in-person instruction, their whereabouts unknown by school officials. A recent study by Bellwether Education Partners, a nonprofit that focuses on underserved communities, get this, estimates that approximately 3 million of the most educationally marginalized students in the country may have been missing from school since March 2020 when the pandemic forced school closures. The group said it arrived at the number by calculating a, quote, likely percentage of at-risk groups not in school, based on media reports and available data. So it might not be super precise, but Jim, that's a huge number. Uh, the story at ABC then goes into other states showing how the numbers have dropped off. Some of it is people not starting their kindergartners when they normally would have. Some people have decided to go homeschooling instead of uh, doing the hours-long Zoom sessions each day and so forth. So there's a lot of different reasons, but the absentee rate in a lot of these places is skyrocketing as well. And as you have discovered... A lot of these places aren't even keeping track of uh, who's in school, who's not, which schools are open and which aren't. So uh, the data is shaky at best, and a lot of people seem to be falling through the cracks.
2: Yeah, this is one of those things where we know the situation is bad. And when we cite figures and statistics to say, hey, look, this is a really bad situation, you can probably make a fair quibble about whether the figures that are being cited are, are giving the full representation of the situation. But I think it's safe to say the situation is not likely to be way better than the figures that we're representing. I think the thing that kind of jumped out at me early on in this pandemic, and that should have been a, a giant flashing neon sign kind of story, um, was, you know, it's probably around like end of March, early April. Uh, Los Angeles Unified School District said that about 15,000 high school students did not show up for any online learning during the first two weeks of the school closures. Um, there are about 105,000 other ones. And they said about 26,000 of those were not showing up on a daily basis. None of this means if you miss any one of the classes in that two week period, it counts it as not attending or whether, you know, it means you're only attending every other day or, or something like that. But clearly when they switched over from in-person classes to online classes, there are a bunch of kids who just never showed up, never logged in and never, connected. And, you know, I don't know how much, I know how much the vice president loves to enforce truancy laws um, (laughs) and loves to throw parents in jail for that. But yeah, I assume because of the quarantine and restrictions that we didn't want people interacting in person, I assume there was much less enforcement of truancy and much fewer people who are checking in on these kids and saying, okay, um, why weren't you in class? What happened? What's, you know, is is it a tech issue that you can't connect through? Is it a, Issue of you don't have the right kind of connection in your house to get a good signal, all that kind of stuff. This could be just technical issues, or I'm sure in some cases it is. Lots of parents are not uh, natural techies who are great at troubleshooting this, although I suspect for many listeners, we've gotten a lot better at this over the past year. Whether or not we wanted to be a troubleshooting tech support for a public school district. Um, but overall, when we see these figures a year later, we should not be that surprised by it. And one of the things that I just find maddening as I try to write about this is the sheer number of states that really don't aren't collecting this data and can't give you a good, simple answer on how many school districts have in-person learning, how many are doing some sort of hybrid right now, and how many are online only. Um, you know, Education Week is doing a fairly good job of letting know if there are state regulations requiring things one way or the other but a lot of states are giving you know school districts a good amount of flexibility so you know so you'll see districts where you know this district over in this part of the state is open this district in this part of the state is closed um and it was kind of interesting i i I, the part that the example that jumped out at me was over in vermont uh digger which is a pretty darn good independent newspaper that you know It's certainly not conservative, but it does a decent good job of reporting governments, uh, you know, the state government not succeeding the way it's supposed to. Um, You know, basically the the education secretary, and by the way, this is a state where the Republican governor said, quote, I don't from a state perspective generally need to understand on a daily basis what's going on in schools. Well, you are the education (laughs) secretary, right? (laughs) And apparently at some point they thought about setting up some sort of tracker to report on how many schools were closed at any given time but honest to goodness, this is the description of the article, ultimately decided it wasn't worth the effort required of school districts to report such information. Is that a lot of effort, Greg? (laughs) Are you open today? Is that like most stores will do that, you know? So it's been really frustrating. I can't help but have this sneaking suspicion that the lack of clear and, and, you know, data keeping and the ability to point to this percentage of schools are doing in-person classes this week, this percentage was doing it last week and last month and stuff like that. I can't help but get the feeling that the lack of clear data on this is working to the advantage of people who know that if there was more understanding of just how many schools were not open for classes right now, that public outrage would be even louder. I think that's exactly right. And one of the things
1: that many people, I think we've even discussed it quite a bit uh, over the past year, is the impact that this is going to have on kids long terms. I mean, if you come from a a stable home where you have parents who are on top of things, it can work out about as well as you can hope it could. But uh, whether there's uh, kids in dysfunctional homes or single-parent homes where the parent simply can't be home while the kid's supposed to be online for school, the impact of this could be absolutely catastrophic. If you've got littler kids, you can probably make that up uh, in lower elementary maybe even mid to upper elementary but if you've got teenagers just completely checking out for a year the odds of them coming back at all much less coming back with any interest in necessarily uh, picking up where they left off or, or even advancing it's going to be a hard sell especially if they have the option of not coming back and they've reached an age where they can do that uh, and that impact on our society in just a few years could be very serious
2: yeah look you know it, it was one of those things where i recognize School districts did not ask for this problem. They did not expect this problem. Suddenly being told you can't use your school buildings because it's not safe to get students together in large groups. Yeah, that's a big curveball. But we're a year into this, and you know, if it's one of those things where if we had tried online learning and it had been this phenomenal success, and the kids loved it, and you know, uh, the the you know the indications were that it was working and it was engaging. Like I, I have no doubt the vast majority of teachers that are doing online learning, they're trying their best. Nobody set up wanting to be giving Zoom instructions for the rest, you know, or no teacher aspired to be doing this. That said, look, if you clearly, we need, I suspect that one of the things that, that is hurting, particularly in those younger grades, but even in the high school levels, is this sense of like when you're, when you're in a, a audience of a, of a speaker and everybody's wrapped around you, right? That helps focus your attention. That helps, you know, if everybody around you is concentrating hard on a test, you're likely to concentrate on a test. I'm not speaking from personal experience at all, son. <laughs> but just observing that like when you're in your room and you've got your you know, posters on your wall and your books and your puzzles and your toys and you know, there's a million of one thing you, know, you can look out the window, like there's a million little distractions. Um, and I just think that being in a classroom is generally better for kids. Yes, we have to do it safe. A lot of the data says, look, there are ways to do this safe. You can, you know, the older kids are certainly capable of wearing masks. You space them out. Uh, and I should give credit where it's due. Uh, Fairfax County Public Schools, which I have had plenty of disagreements with, has now gotten the eighth graders back in today. Uh, for my older son, this was effectively his first day of school, at least in-person school. And he's going to get to meet his teachers in person today, which is a remarkable uh, breakthrough. So some progress is being made on this. But man, I have a feeling we're going to be dealing with the ramifications of this for many years to come. And I just hope that we can... Figure out some way to make it up to our kids because they should not have been sacrificed on the altar of teachers unions, political demands and, you know, people's paranoia about catching it from being in a room spaced out wearing masks. No, And of course, there was a story out in California, the teachers union leader who was
1: seen dropping his child off in person uh, at a private school. So just remember all these things when it comes time to to vote and to figure out where you want your kids to be in school going forward. Uh, Jim, a lot of time spent online for our kids voluntarily sometimes, involuntarily sometimes, when you have to do school that way. But when we go online, social media especially, let there be no doubt, big tech definitely has preferences and priorities on the messages that it wants to get out. And a lot of times, conservative perspectives are ones they don't want to uh, have disseminated. I think the Ryan Anderson book on transgenderism is a perfect example of Amazon doing that last week, which is not social media, but it is the internet and the marketplace. But uh why are we choosing to give these big tech companies all of our personal data? Well, they've drawn the lines, and big tech has made it clear which side they're on. So now's the time for the rest of us to take a stand. You can protect your personal data from big tech with the VPN you can trust for your online protection. It's
2: ExpressVPN. You see, every device, whether you're using your phone or your laptop or your TV, has a unique string of numbers called an IP address. And when you search for stuff, or when you watch videos, or even when you just click on a link, big tech companies can use that IP to track all of your activity and tie it back to you. When you use ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through their secure encrypted servers. So these companies can't see your IP address at all. Your internet activity becomes anonymized and your network data is encrypted. The best part is you don't need to be tech savvy at all to use ExpressVPN. You just download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you are protected. And for a Luddite like me, that is a very attractive feature of this. So
1: stop handing over your data to big tech companies whose aim is to censor you and even spy on you. Defend your rights and protect your internet activity with a VPN you can use and trust every day. Visit expressvpn.com martini. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot martini to get three extra months free. Again, go to expressvpn.com slash martini right now to learn more. All right, Jim, we talked about the idea last week when the Senate parliamentarian decided that a minimum wage increase to $15 per hour was not germane for the COVID relief bill under reconciliation. You pointed out that uh, so many times politicians have an agenda, and regardless of the circumstances in the country or the state or whatever level they're serving on, Well, that crisis just makes it even more imperative for their idea that they've been touting since long before the crisis needs to happen even more. That's Elizabeth Warren, and that's why she is now once again touting her wealth tax. CNN, now that Democrats control the White House and Congress, President Joe Biden and other party leaders are pushing to spend big to revive the economy and address income inequality. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Washington Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, and Pennsylvania Congressman Brendan Boyle want the ultra-wealthy to pay for it. The three Democrats unveiled the Ultra-Millionaire Tax Act on Monday morning. It would levy a 2% annual tax on the net worth of households and trust between $50 million and $1 billion, as well as a 1% annual surtax on assets above $1 billion, for a three percent tax overall on billionaires, and so when you're talking about net worth, that just is over and over and over and over again. Unlike income tax, where your annual income is only taxed well theoretically once. But uh, Jim, we could go a lot of different ways on this. Uh, uh, Warren trying to shoehorn her pre-existing agenda into the current circumstances. The idea that there is such a thing as income inequality and that that's a bad thing necessarily. Uh, what do you make of this?
2: So. I think the experience of the country from when Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign flamed out in early 2020 probably should give us a good reason to be even more skeptical of any politician who comes along and makes their unofficial slogan, I've got a plan for that. Now, given a choice, I would rather a presidential candidate have lots of white papers. I know everybody likes to say the answers we're looking for can't be found in boring think tank white papers. But boring think tank white papers are like what actually when you what's when you take that campaign promise and how you actually turn it into policy, right? Um, you know, policy is more complicated. It's how you actually turn it into law. It's how you actually turn it into regulations. What are you actually going to do in order to get these results you promise that are going to be so terrific? And to her credit, or to you know, to her credit, Warren kept saying, "I've got a plan for that." Although a lot of like a lot of times her plan was a list of goals and the how to get there was a little more challenging. But here's the so Biden takes into goes into office and they they're they're completely convinced that oh we're gonna you know, we're gonna roll out the vaccines and this is gonna be great and you know and if you've been reading me for the last you know six weeks or so you know actually you know be, the Trump administration certainly had plenty of problems getting the vaccines out the door it was a very slow start it was very sluggish but for the past six weeks we've had a real difficulty getting uh, vaccines from the you know Pfizer and, and Moderna are shipping them out to the states pretty darn fast they're doing a couple million a day. The good news is Friday Saturday, Sunday of this past week we're pretty darn good. Uh, we finally got back up to more than two million doses a, uh, a day. We're probably going to hit we're gonna hit that 100 million in 100 days threshold the Biden administration set real easy that was not as ambitious as Biden likes to pretend it was. 150 million in 100 days that's more ambitious but look every single one of the look, what they're trying to do with this plan is simply to get shots into arms. We do that every year with the flu shot. This is, of all the things government could try to do, getting lots and lots of people vaccinated shouldn't be terribly complicated. It's certainly not overhauling the entire economy. It's not trying to mitigate the the natural effect of capitalism, of of wealth uh, uh, disparity. Like, you know, just, just take needles from somebody making them, get the doses into the needles, Get the doses into the arms. Simplest thing you could probably imagine, right? And of course, we've had all kinds of problems. We've had uh, freezers that break, and so the, the doses spoil. We had that nut job uh, pharmacist who was an anti-vaxxer. Like, if you're an anti-vaxxer, why are you a pharmacist? Um, we've had all kinds of, you know, complicated websites that don't work, phone lines that get jammed, complicated rules about who's qualified and who isn't. We had hospitals that started giving them away to their uh, wealthy donors. Look, you know, this is not supposed to, you know, every plan sounds terrific until it comes in contact with reality. You know, the old saying, you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy. I think if we'd had a President Warren, I don't think things would be running any better than they are right now. And I think you might even see more of this frustration of, but wait, look, we've got a good plan here. Look, Look at these papers. The plan, according to the plan, this is supposed to be working. The problem is plans involve human beings and human beings do not to carry out the plan to perfection, particularly when you're talking about things on the scale of the federal government. So Elizabeth Warren's entire philosophy of government basically assumes that the entire federal bureaucracy will do what it's supposed to, when it's supposed to, how it's supposed to, where it's supposed to, and um, Why it's supposed to? I guess to to complete the the the, the five Ws, right? So it's kind of this entire mental. So here she is; she's still in the Senate. She didn't succeed in being the uh, running for president. If she really was this fantastic planner, some might even say central planner, um, (laughs) you she probably would. She would be. You think she'd be happier being a governor, right? You'd be in the executive branch. You have better control. You have better power and authority. The ability to enact your vision. In a, as an exec, head of an executive branch than you can in the legislative branch. Elizabeth Warren is forever going to be the woman who's got a brilliant plan for that, but who has a much more difficult time enacting those plans because those plans are rarely more than distant cousins with what the actual reality on the ground is. Well, that's kind of Elizabeth Warren on a day-to-day basis, regardless of
1: what she's focused on. But, uh, Jim, the Democrats keep talking about this idea as if it's going to solve anything. They keep wanting to grow the size of government. They keep wanting to add more and more and more. You know, they want to add this, the uh, the public option, which they know is going to turn into single payer. They want the Green New Deal. I mean, we're talking tens of trillions of dollars. Three uh, percent of a billion dollars, if you have a billion dollars, is $30 million in taxes, if my math is correct. But even if you soak the rich like they always want to do, you're not going to be able to pay for everything. And I finally saw the debate starting to emerge on Twitter over the weekend, and I'm not sure the Democrats will want to go there anytime soon, but they're going to have to. If they want the Sweden style, the Scandinavian style, what they call socialism, even though it's not because there's a lot of capitalism involved, they're going to have to tax the middle class at 60 percent or so uh, a lot of folks on the right were saying and so if that's the argument they want to make to the middle class the bulk of the voters uh good luck with that argument but that's the reality if uh, they want to accomplish that and not just spiral forever into more and more trillions of dollars of debt they're gonna have to soak the middle class they don't want to admit it but it's the reality
2: yeah, I mean, they should always be required to you know, plug in numbers for all of their plans. But let's face it, Greg, for most of these people, rich means making more money than I am. Well, as they uh, figure out what to do about taxing the middle class,
1: uh, rest easy, middle class—at least for the moment. You don't know when they'll finally spring the truth on you. Uh, if you but if you're going to rest easy, use my pillow. Uh, but did you know that my pillow is about more than just a great pillow? Well, now the company is giving the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. In fact, right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all
2: six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheet sets. MyPillow towels are proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. Soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza
1: Dreams bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. They've got the sateen weave, which gives them a luxurious finish and will have you sleeping great. Got a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee also. Washable and dryable, wide variety of colors and sizes. Right now, visit MyPillow.com to learn more Our listeners on Three Martini Lunch can get all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's mypillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheets. Trying out the sheets right now. They are great. All right, Jim, let's talk about Andrew Cuomo again. The avalanche continues. There is now a third accuser. And this time we've actually got a photo kind of of the incident. Uh, this was a staffer who said that uh, that she was at a wedding with Cuomo, put his hand on her uh, bare back because that was the style of the dress she was wearing. She used her hand to remove his hand. Uh, then he, uh, I guess, got in front of her and asked if he could kiss her. She felt very, very uncomfortable with that. Uh, You also are seeing folks like AOC saying that if these uh, allegations are proven true, he should be impeached. You've got a state senator who used to work for Andrew Cuomo in his governor's office named Alessandra Biagi saying, quote, it's not a surprise to me that these things are now coming to the surface. Uh, There's a Democratic congresswoman, Kathleen Rice, saying it's time for Cuomo to resign. And no one is enjoying this with more glee than New York City Mayor and Constant Cuomo adversary Mayor Bill de Blasio. This is what he had to say about it yesterday.
0: It's going
2: to be clear this is not the way any leader should treat anybody. Um, what these two women went through is absolutely unacceptable. What Warren Kim went through, having his life, you know, having his career threatened. I mean, again, just look at this pattern of abuse. It's unacceptable. So um, I think a lot of truth is coming out. I think more truth will come out.
1: So, Jim, obviously the pile-on is on, and we've talked about this before, but the key question is, why now? I don't think it's just that Trump is gone and Cuomo was the Democratic hero compared to Trump or supposedly to to Ron DeSantis. Uh, I don't know if it's Democrats tired of waiting for somebody statewide to get out of the way so they can advance their careers, or they just see an opportunity now with the nursing home scandal to... I hate Andrew Cuomo. He's treated me like crap for years. And darn it, I'm not waiting anymore. Could be a combination of a variety of factors. But it's very rare that when a politician who has been protected as much as Andrew Cuomo, especially in light of the nursing home scandal, despite everybody knowing all these skeletons in the closet, they're not just doing it because it's the right thing.
2: There has to be a reason. So what is it? You know, Greg, on hot air a little while back, al pundit had a good assessment of New York state politics. And he observed that, you know, Unless he's impeached, Andrew Cuomo is probably going to be governor until he until he no longer wants to be, until he dies. You know, it's partly you can attribute this to his father Mario Cuomo being there that he's got this you know built-in support from a bunch of New York Democrats. Um, he's had two primary challengers. One of them was from the actresses from Sex and the City. The other was from Zephyr Teachout, kind of a a left-wing activist. Neither one has really gotten much. Uh, traction very far, you know, on either one of those primary challenges. This would all hurt Cuomo in a primary challenge in a general election, but it probably would not be enough to overcome his inherent advantages as an incumbent in name recognition and in just the partisan lean of the state, which in a very strange way makes it even less explicable that Democrats would be so hesitant to uh, you know, say to stand up to Andrew Cuomo and say, you know what? I'm sorry, this is unacceptable behavior. Whether you're talking about sexual harassment or you're talking about the <clears throat> pile of dead senior citizens in the middle of the state from the nursing home policies that he enacted, but you know, the, the example you see, not from often from from everybody in Democratic circles, but usually from here and there, you'll hear someone say, ah, oh, you know, look at Al Franken. You know, Democrats do turn on their uh, their you know their those who misbehave in their ranks. Um, and they pay the price for it. Republicans never do this. Well, you know, Bob Packwood might disagree with that. I think there's some other uh, Republican examples we can point to in recent years. You could point to say Ralph Northam still remaining governor as a demonstration that um, a lot of Democrats have perfected the art of the uh, powerless outrage. Uh, Ralph Northam, you know, the, the photo came out. He's either in blackface or a Klan hood. He admittedly, he said he was in the photo. He didn't say which one. Neither one of them is a good option. His yearbook photo said he had the, the nickname Coon Man. We never got an explanation for that. But Ralph Northam just decided to hunker down and he would wait out the storm. And there were plenty of Virginia Democrats who said that Ralph Northam should resign. And then Governor Northam said, no, I will not resign. And the vast majority of Virginia Democrats said, well okay then <laughs> and the and the matter just eventually dropped you know the lesson of northam is you can you can weather just about any storm now northam doesn't you know probably would have a tough time if he had uh, had the option of running for re-election but here in virginia you're not allowed to run for a second term for governor or at least not consecutive terms so that would be an obstacle but he was ser- per- perfectly content to serve out his term that al franken example um, I don't think Democrats really hurt themselves that much. And I think that actually holding Al Franken accountable was the right thing to do. And I think, it, you know, for all, uh, this is not a podcast that often says nice things about Kirsten Gillibrand, but she did stand up and say, this is unacceptable when a lot of other Democrats didn't want to. A whole bunch of Democrats swore they would never donate to her because of this idea that she had betrayed Al Franken. Well, look, you know, when Al Franken resigned, Governor Dayton named T- uh, Senator Tina Smith. Tina Smith you know, was up for re-election in 2018 for the remainder of Franken's term and she won 53% to 42%. Did just fine. The remainder of his term ended in uh, uh, 2020. She was up again. She won 48% to Jason Lewis's 43%. I don't think Tina Smith's voting record is significantly different from Al Franken. You're a Minnesota Democrat. They're going to vote pretty darn you know, against, the, against President Trump and with the majority of other Democrats the vast majority of the times. So maybe there's a little difference on a few few issues here and there. But by and large, the Democrats said to Al Franken, no, this is not acceptable behavior for a senator. We expect you to resign. Franken resigned. And life went on perfectly fine from the Democratic perspective, except they didn't have to make excuses for why Al Franken grabbing somebody's tush wasn't really that big a deal, or it wasn't as bad as what Trump had done or or something like that. There's really not that much ups, like like there's great when you stand up for a creep in your own party, you're helping the creep. You're not really helping anybody else. You're giving the other side very easy opportunity to call you a hypocrite. Standing up and saying my party's creep is okay, makes things easier for every creep. Because every creep, when they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, they want the issue to become another partisan food fight. They want this to turn into our side against their side. Because if it turns into a, no, no, this is a decent people versus indecent people argument, right? They know they're going to lose. They know that there's very few, there's not a very big chunk of the uh, the electorate that is pro-sexual harassment. There's not a very big chunk of the electorate that says, yes, we affirmatively support sending COVID infected senior citizens back into nursing homes. It was just on the merits of that. If you could just get every person in New York to look at that decision and say, do you think that was a good idea? You'd probably get a 95 to five vote on that one. But you know, it's one of those things where once uh, you know Cuomo can say, oh, it's the right wing out to get to me, it's Trump out to get me, it's the, the crazy concert. Then everybody lines up to their usual partisan starting positions. Then everybody says, well, look, I, can't, I can't let them get my guy. I guess the the heart of it is a good question. is like, what what does it take for somebody to be considered your guy? Why are you, you if you're a New York Democrat, I can understand you being invested in a Democrat being the governor of the state. But why are you invested in Andrew Cuomo being in governor of the state? First of all, he's been there for, this is his third term. He's been there plenty of time. He's got plenty of, there's no other thing wrong. Secondly, if you're a New York Democrat, are you really that pleased with the state of governance you've had? I'm not just gonna talk about the taxes and all that kind of stuff. I'm just gonna observe that if this led to Cuomo's resignation, he would be the third democratic governor in a row who had to resign. And the other thing is this isn't even counting the attorney general Schneiderman who was involved in, in, you know, stuff that was uh, let's just say not just sexually inappropriate, but you know, in some cases sexually violent, right? Real nightmare stuff, stuff that makes Spitzer look mild by comparison. So if you're a New York Democrat, do the elected officials who've been in Albany lately, are they are they living up to your values? Are they actually the kind of guys you want or are you just standing up because of, well there are part, they're, they're the crooks who have the right letter after their name? I want to see an America where very very few people feel an inclination to defend anybody just because of the letter that's after the name and just because of their party affiliation. So but I, you know, as a right of center guy, I can't make New York Democrats, you know, take this move. New York Democrats, you got to make this move on your own. But if you do this, maybe you'll get a bunch of Republicans saying, hey, wait a minute, why would we stand up for a crook in our ranks just because they're in our party? We shouldn't want crooks in our ranks. We want to, We want the best candidates we can get. And every elected official, these guys are contract workers. They are replaceable. Nobody is, is absolutely irreplaceable. But I'm talking to the void some days, Greg.
1: Wow. Well, I find it interesting that de Blasio is feeling like he can go out there with his swagger. I have seen... First of all, he's got popularity ratings that are probably lower than most of the rats in New York City. Secondly, uh, this is a guy who I've seen in recent reports compared very closely in style to Cuomo. I won't use the uh, crude term that some folks are using for it, but basically it's kind of a a boys club where they berate and demean people. I don't know if he has quite the same volume or not as Andrew Cuomo, but the apple's not fallen uh, too far between the Big Apple and Albany. Uh, So just because Cuomo's facing the heat right now, I'm not sure de Blasio is uh, necessarily going to do much better. Because if there gets to be momentum behind this idea in New York, especially with him about to leave office at the end of the year anyway, uh, he might not escape this unscathed, but we'll see.
2: Yeah, I mean, Greg, you make a good point when you say de Blasio is not as popular as a rat in New York City, but um, de Blasio has a way of dealing with rodents that irk him. (laughs)
1: A lot more rats than groundhogs though unfortunately but uh, good luck New York I know you've got some choices this year uh, the good news is you probably can't do worse than De Blasio but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't test that it's I mean don't, always, yeah <laughs> don't try to do it don't, don't take that statement as a challenge. <laughs> Nobody's holding your beer. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're very, very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, remember to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Thank you for being with us today, and please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
0: We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at TheBillWaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next? All right,
1: one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at fourpatriots.com/slash-martini, including their signature offer right now: a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over ninety-seven dollars. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared. 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4 martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com martini That's 4 martini
0: Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in at US Border Patrol. Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join US Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov/careers.
1: Okay, round 2. Name something that's not
0: boring.